Hi, and welcome to the Restore Body Balance podcast, where we combine psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. I'm Colleen Burns, licensed psychotherapist and founder of Restore Body Balance. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, tis the season for change. So most of what I'm hearing today is about patients that are looking to start a New Year's resolution. And again, why is it so difficult for us to change? So the last episode, we talked about my book, Prescription for Change, and its subtitle, Using Your Lifestyle as Medicine. And we talked about why change is so hard. So today's episode, I'd like to talk about some of the neural processes that happen when we go about trying to enact change. Number one is to look at what we call top-down processing and bottom-up processing. Again, going back to that piece of the Mass General Hospital and the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard University, where we talked about the two competing neural networks. So again, we're going to be speaking about the sympathetic nervous system of fight or flight, fight, flight, or freeze, and the parasympathetic nervous system of rest and relax, rest and restore, rest and digest, and rest and reproduce. I often talk to my patients about the glass full analogy. And this is important. So for those listeners that heard me speak about this in previous episodes, it's so vitally important. So just hang tight and let's just review it again. Once that glass is completely full, whether it's a glass of water or a cup of coffee, think about what happens. Every drop, every medicine dropper, you cause a spillover. Or let's say you try to pick it up to take a sip. There's a spillover. And that is what I learned about at the Mass General Hospital and the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard University with the folks that created SMART, which stands for Stress Management and Resiliency Training. And so it wasn't until I went through that training that a light bulb went off in my head. And I thought, this is why it's not working. All of that cognitive behavioral treatment and cognitive behavioral therapy that I had learned, studied at wonderful institutions like Boston College, et cetera, there was something missing that my patients were not getting relief. So today's episode, we're going to review the cognitive behavioral therapy that changes the brain, but also when it's most effective. So let's start right off the bat with what is happening in the brain. I know we repeat this often in the podcast, but it's so important, listeners, to actually understand what is happening in your brain. And I feel that if our listeners can just get to an understanding of empowerment, that's where change truly happens. I feel very privileged to sit with my patients week to week 
but it's really you. It's not a doctor. It's not a counselor. It's not a therapist. It's you as an individual that actually gets the reward when you start to heal. So Pema Chodron, who is a Buddhist nun, one of my mentors from afar, she probably does not know that, but from afar, Pema, if you can hear me, you are my mentor. Before I even did any of my certifications, a very dear friend of mine, Mark Forrest, licensed social worker at the Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital here in Boston, Massachusetts, he and I started following a psychiatrist in New York City by the name of Mark Epstein, MD. So Mark Epstein is the only person that I ever looked to get an autograph from. And his book is, he has several books as a matter of fact, but it's a matter of looking at the analogies between psychotherapy and Buddhism. And this is not a spiritual path. This is not a religious path per se. It's just about the way the brain operates. And one of his books is Going on Being. And I heard him speak at a conference many, many moons ago, and it resonated with me in terms of a practitioner that really this idea of we don't feel good. We are in pain psychic pain. We know what it feels like to be in physical pain, but it's the idea of psychic pain and how your brain just wants to make it better. And Pema Chodron actually came up with a brilliant analogy, which I've probably shared on the podcast before. So listeners hang tight, but I promise you, I would not repeat this unless it was vitally important. She shared an analogy about having a rash. And this is something I repeat daily to my patients. So picture just a rash on your hand. And maybe you're inclined to go to a doctor and the doctor says, oh, you've got poison ivy. You've got this bad rash. But every time you scratch it, it's going to spread. And every time it spreads, then you're going to have more craving to itch. And so the more the rash, the more the craving, the more you're itching, the more you're craving relief. But every time you itch, the rash spreads. So listeners, let's look at this analogy visually in your own heads. All of a sudden, the rash goes from maybe just your top of your hand to up the wrist, to up your forearm. Now it's up your entire arm and going across your chest. If there's that much rash, there's that much more urge or craving to scratch for relief. And so as we go to the doctor, in this case, the doctor may be being an actual MD or someone like myself in terms of therapy, and we say, here is the medicine. And the analogy here or, or the similarity here is to say, you need to apply the medicine. And the medicine is mindfulness, meditation, and looking at the urge and resisting that craving, that urge to scratch. Because it's not really providing true relief. It's providing 
temporary relief. And so as we stop scratching, we actually start to heal. And as we start to heal, again, going back to this rash receding, it's now just located on the arm, now just located on your wrist and just located on your hand. And there's less to manage. And that's really what we're looking at when we go back to the neurology of the brain being able to say, I don't feel good, make it better, right? And anything we've taught it to make it better, our brain is just trying to help us. It's saying, you're in pain, I'll make it better. So I've often used this reference of the primal brain saying, I'm hot, I'm cold, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. And it wants to keep that homeostasis, if we will. So your stomach growls, you eat, you feel better. You're hot, you perspire, you put you know, your jacket off, you feel better. You're cold, etc. So the cerebral brain, which sits above the primal brain, says the same thing. I don't feel good. Make it better. I'm in psychic pain. I'm in emotional pain. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm scared. I'm angry. And anything we've taught it, and this is important, anything we've taught it to make it better, it will do. And it will do without our permission. So in this age of change with January and New Year's resolutions, we have to remember it's not about willpower. For some people, maybe. But for most of us, we have to keep get really deep down into the unconscious level to say, what have we taught it to make it better? So go back to that primal brain. It wants to stay safe. It says, I'm in danger. So fight to defend yourself or flee to get out of danger or freeze, get super, super small. Maybe they won't see you. Maybe the danger won't see you because it says, I want to stay alive. I want to stay safe. I'm scared. I'm uncomfortable. I'm anxious. With the cerebral brain, think about it. We're doing the same thing. We say, I'm scared. This isn't safe. All of a sudden we restrict calories. Our brain goes bananas. Wait, are you restricting calories? I need calories to survive. Then we go back to that fight or flight response or changing jobs, changing relationships, going back to school, anything it is, anything that's not familiar, the brain sees as danger and not safe because it wants to do what it did yesterday because you're alive. And as we said with our last podcast, it not only wants the physical of you to stay alive, but the identity or the idea of you to stay alive. So we need to start peppering the brain, or as 
Peg Bame, who is the director of the Benson Henry Institute for Smart Stress Management Resiliency Training, said to me every week during my certification, bathe the brain before you go to bed. And that's that idea of looking at the different perspective that if we do this bookending that I talk about in my podcast, going to bed and bathing the brain and waking up in the morning and setting attention and intention rather, that is what the brain needs to see and hear. And eventually over time, because we're doing it day in and day out and day in and day out, the brain sees it as familiar and therefore it's not as scary. And therefore the brain is amenable to change. So let's go back to that glass full analogy. So how do we get that glass a little bit down? Most of my patients have heard me say over the course of many years, if we were to put a marble in a jar for every negative thought, every stressful thought, every frustrating thought, et cetera, your glass would be full by 7.30 a.m. And it wasn't until I went to the Benson Henry Institute that I learned my glass analogy with marbles is actually a real thing. Because we have a roadmap to the brain now, we can actually look at what those marbles are. And Dr. Herbert Benson and the brilliant minds at Mass General Hospital here at Boston and the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard University all of a sudden said, wait a minute, that is called allostatic loading or oxidative stress on the body. So my marble analogy wasn't that far off. We had a look at where do I look at getting that glass down, getting some of those marbles out. Because if we had a little bit of bandwidth, if we had that glass just a quarter of the way down, we can handle the additional stressors. So yes, it is about antidoting stress. And we've talked about that. You can revisit different podcasts to look at antidoting the stress during the day. We've talked about the four, seven, eight breath, guided imagery, progressive muscle relaxation, single point of focus, brushing your teeth, showering, anything. All of those things throughout the day actually become cumulative and they antidote the stress. The thing I find fascinating as a therapist is that when it comes to actually changing that cognitive schema, the lens in which we view change, it's a little bit more difficult. So let me hop to my second analogy, which is my practice. I'm a cognitive behaviorist. So what is a cognitive behaviorist? Well, I practice cognitive behavioral therapy. And I often say to patients, take the analogy of getting your eyes examined. So you pop up in the chair, they put the little sprocket in front of your eyes, and they ask, is it better with lens A or B? Is it clearer with lens one or two? And if you've struggled with your eyesight and you come out of there with, it's better with, better with A, it's better with one, et cetera, all of a sudden you put a pair of glasses or contacts in and it corrects the distortion. So maybe you couldn't see the clock across the room, but once you put glasses or contacts in, it corrects the distortion. So if we take that one step further, our brains do the same thing. 
and that is cognitive behavioral therapy. We have cognitions, or as we say in my world of psychology, schemas. So if you've ever been in therapy or read about this, you need to have a paradigm shift or a schema shift, cognition shift. And that's apparently what sets you free. When you change the way you filter information. So with contacts or glasses, you're filtering the light and the information through your cones and your retina. And once it's corrected, you see clearly. And it's relief because you see the clear picture. With cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, we work on changing that cognitive schema, AKA sometimes we call it a paradigm shift. And once you do, you're set free. You're set free. And you're not adding those marbles to the jar because you're not ruminating and perseverating and try to find, you're finding psychic relief or or emotional relief from the pain, which by the way, we've brought on ourselves. Or let's say what Dr. Epstein often says, the first darts are thrown at us, but we throw the second darts at ourselves. So we might not be able to escape the pain that's given to us, but we can escape how we interpret it and that rationality of just keep scratching it. And this week was important to me to share with you, my listeners, personal anecdote that happened in my life where there was an event on last Wednesday and I became very charged. I became emotionally upset and invested in a family situation. And I spent about two to three days in a lot of psychic pain. And after having a conversation with this family member, the blame was pushed onto somebody else. And then I spent another two days ruminating and perseverating and angry with this other person. And when I finally sat down and freed myself from it and let go of the anger and let go of the blame, I experienced relief. Nobody gave it to me. Nobody necessarily apologized or took ownership of what happened. It was me. It was me that gave myself the relief of mindfulness and meditation and relinquishing the anger. And when we make that paradigm shift, I promise listeners, there's not a lot I can do in psychology This isn't medicine. This isn't showing up at the emergency department and the doctors or triage nurses asking, okay, is it pain? Yes. What side? Right. Is it sharp and stabbing or dull and throbbing? Sharp and stabbing. On a scale of one to 10, it's 11. Okay. Probably your appendix. We won't know until we get you in surgery, but there's a plan, right? And then maybe it is your appendix and they remove it and healing is painful and you go through the process. But psychology is different. We can't just Harry Potter things out of our mind with a magic wand, as I often say to people. But I can promise you this, listeners, you can provide yourself that relief. And with cognitive behavioral therapy, we've often talked about A, B, C, D, E. That's the work of Dr. Albert Ellis with cognitive behavioral therapy. 
A is the activating event. Maybe something happened in my family last week. B is the behavior. That would be my reaction. C is the consequence. I have two to three days of psychic pain, emotional pain, allostatic loading on my body. And I often say to people, the only thing that matters in this algorithm is D, which is dispute the belief, dispute the belief, dispute the belief, dispute the belief. And if you disputed the belief enough times, the E would happen. And the E is the new emotion or emotional regulation or emotional reaction. After going through the SMART program, I realized, as I've often said, and it bears repeating, especially during January, especially during COVID, especially during our hardships, is that none of this can happen. Obviously, I'm not the famous Albert Ellis who came up with ABCDE, but I am Colleen Burns, licensed psychotherapist, integrative health counselor, who realized after 15 years, maybe 17 years, yes, it worked, but not in fight or flight. We are not amenable to change listeners in fight or flight. And all that ABCDE went out the window because our brain just wants to protect ourselves. We can't dispute the belief. We will go down the rabbit's hole. We will perseverate. We will grab the cookie, have another drink, have another whatever, fill in the blank. We've all been there, done that. New Year's resolutions are not about quick fixes. And my practice at Restore Body Balance is in fact how we use our lifestyle as medicine. So the takeaway message from today is our glasses are full and we are putting a lot of that allostatic loading and oxidative stress on our bodies. We're compromising our immune system. We're not able to hear change. We're not able to dispute the belief in fight or flight, but it's proven scientifically evidence-based through those brilliant minds and even Dr. Judson Brewer at the Meditation and Mindfulness Center at Brown University, it's an addiction psychiatrist, wonderful man, along with the work of John Kabat-Zinn, we're all learning. We're all learning how mindfulness and meditation antidote stress. I encourage our listeners to go to the YouTube video which is John Cabot-Zinn and Anderson Cooper of 60 Minutes. He's interviewed and you can watch him after a weekend retreat of learning meditation and mindfulness. You can watch him wear this cool little cap. It almost looks like a swimmer's cap with all these little discs that they fill with gel and they monitor and they can watch him as he recalls a stressful event and the screen, almost like a seismograph, goes back and forth, back and forth in the stress-based response. And then they ask him to drop into meditation and mindfulness. And he goes back into that parasympathetic nervous system of rest and relax and rest and restore. And this has been a tumultuous few months coming up on almost a year for us in our pandemic and a lot of stress and a lot of hardship and a lot of pain and a lot of anguish. And I can't make that go away. 
but I have dedicated my entire life to alleviate human suffering the way that I know. And I promise you this, listeners, learning to stay, learning to not scratch that itch, go down the rabbit's hole, have another cookie, have another drink, whatever it is, whatever our vices are, the indulgence, we're not trying to avoid them. We're not trying to restrict them. We're not trying to shame ourselves to say it's bad. We're just looking to neutralize them. So that's my work at Restore Body Balance. That is the work of using your lifestyle as medicine. And that's truly why I feel my program is so user-friendly and important, especially in our COVID climate and especially with New Year's resolutions, is that it's not about a diet or exercise. It's about using your lifestyle, your particular individualized lifestyle as your medicine. And we can do it using that combination of psychology, of the mind, the biology, of the body, and the neurology of that habituated brain. And trust me, listeners, I can help. And the resources that are on my website, www.restorebodybalance.com, will also help you. Please feel free to contact me for more information and about the book on change, prescription for change using your lifestyle's medicine. And I will be here to answer any of your questions. And I just want you to have a very safe and sound week coming up and feel free to reach out with any questions and hit that subscribe button if you wanna hear more. Take care.